0: Let's have a warm welcome for Al. Oh, dear. thank you. <clears throat> Hello again. Right, well, it's turning into a bit of a, a Christmas tradition, is, um, well, maybe just, just with me actually, um, not with any of you, but looking out for the Christmas adverts on the television. And uh, I particularly like to look out for the John Lewis advert. Maybe it says something about me, I don't know. But um, I don't know if you've seen the, the one this year with the penguins. Yes, I, I like it. But, um, but um, I was thinking of a John Lewis advert a couple of years ago when uh, maybe the first one I really noticed and really struck me. There was this boy, it starts off with this boy, and he just can't wait for Christmas. He's so impatient, he's drumming the table, he's looking miserable, the calendar's kind of going through December, he keeps looking at the clock, he's trying to wave a magic wand at the clock to make it go faster. Um, He's trying all sorts of things and he's he's just looking really frustrated and impatient the whole of the month. But finally it gets to Christmas Eve and he quickly eats up his tea and rushes upstairs and he's family are like, whoa. And he goes upstairs, gets into bed. And you assume it's because he can't wait to get his presents on Christmas Day. But in the morning, he appears early in his mum and dad's bedroom with a big present for them. And the caption is, John Lewis, for gifts you can't wait to give. Ah, they've got it, haven't they? Um, (laughs) Yeah, so, but... We're going to think this morning about waiting patiently. It's part of our series from the book of James in the New Testament in the Bible um, called The God-Centered Life. This uh, letter, originally written to early Christians 2,000 years ago, it's still uh, things that God wants to say to us today. And the whole book is about what practical difference does it make to be a Christian today. Not just what difference does it make when you're here in a church service, but what difference does it make on Monday morning at work? What difference does it make when you're with your family, when you're interacting with your neighbours, when you face problems in life, when you haven't got enough cash, when you're thinking about planning for the future? And um, just by the way, if you're here as someone who would say, I'm not a Christian yet, I'm just looking in, I'm thinking about things, you're really welcome. We always want to say that, and I hope that what we're talking about this morning, it makes sense to you. I hope you get something from it, but I hope it's also an insight into the Christian life, maybe an encouragement, an invitation for you to think about going for a God-centered life through Jesus for yourself. Well, last week we were thinking about a life with God at the center, where everything revolves around him, affecting our future plans and the way we use our money. You can listen on the website if you didn't catch it last week. But um, right back at the start of the series, I don't know if you were here then, back in chapter one, we saw that a God-centered life makes a difference to how we handle tough things. In life, tough circumstances, trials, suffering, however we might like to describe it. And James is now returning to that idea again in the, the bit that we're looking at from chapter five. And it wasn't just theory for these early Christians, they were Christians scattered around the the world, the the countries around the Mediterranean area in the first century. They weren't just sort of tips, you know, maybe if things ever get tough in life, you might like to sort of tuck these away and bring them out if it ever becomes relevant for you. No, these these Christians, they were going through really difficult times there and then. And and maybe maybe that's you this morning, maybe you're thinking, I've had a tough week. I'm having a a tough month. In fact, I've been having a tough few years, and I'm not sure when it's going to end. We're going to think about how to handle the difficulties in life. What does God say that's going to help us through? What is a God-centered approach? And you maybe aren't in a difficult time at the moment at all, but maybe this morning it can be a time to reflect on how have I handled things in the past? Did I do it in a God-honoring, God-centered way? And tough times will inevitably come again, won't they? Will you, it's a chance to be ready, to be prepared, to get our minds in tune with God and how to approach these things. Well, let's look at James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. It's coming up on the screen for you. James 5, beginning at verse 7. as an example of, the patient, of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So the first part of the message, really, is this. Be patient in suffering Jesus is coming. Be patient in suffering. Jesus is coming. And we do know that James's first readers were suffering. Chapter 1 talks about facing trials of many kinds and the kind of thing that needed perseverance because the temptation is to give up on God, to think, this Christianity, it's not working for me. It's not what I signed up for. I don't remember them saying uh, it was going to be like this. I'll try something else. I'll, I'll try another approach to life. James talks about believers in humble circumstances. There would have been people who he was writing to who had a real challenge with money. And he talks in chapter 2 about the rich who were exploiting you and dragging you into court. There were Christians who felt powerless. Maybe you can relate to some of these things. And at the beginning of chapter 5, we looked at it last week, we've got James speaking strongly to rich landowners who've been exploiting the workers, and the workers have been crying out to God for justice. And it, it seems that probably what was happening here is that these rich landowners are not Christians. James is speaking against them. But in fact, it's the Christians particularly who are being exploited. James says... Chapter 5, verse 4, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And James is wanting to say to these people, God knows. God knows what you're going through. He's heard you and he cares. And so in the light of that, he goes on to say, chapter 5, verse 7, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. God's heard your cries. He cares and he's going to do something about it. And maybe you need to hear that some, some of you this morning. Maybe there's something going on in your life or something you're suffering the effects of at the moment. Something that's been an injustice. Something unfair that's gone on. Maybe you're suffering because of what someone did. God knows and God cares. And he says to us, just like he said to those Christians back in James' time, Be patient until the Lord's coming. God has a plan. Jesus is coming to sort things out. It's quite a good time of year to think about that, actually, Jesus coming. Christmas is coming fast. I think we've already been reminded of that. I don't know how many days it is to go. But the thing that's coming even sooner that's to do with Christmas is the Advent calendars. Yeah, chocolates that's what they're all about isn't it Um, actually when I was a boy no chocolate my mum used to pull out this advent calendar year after year she had the little doors taped up with sellotape um, and then we'd open up these little doors we did like it actually me and my brother open up little doors little pictures of the Christmas story maybe a bit of a bible verse on the other side of the door but when the chocolate ones came in we, uh, we got quite into those as well But no, it's pretty difficult, actually, to find an Advent calendar that's really anything to do with Jesus. Um, But actually, Advent comes from a Latin word. It's not the Latin word for chocolate. I don't know what that would be. It's the Latin word for coming. And Advent means coming. Not so much Christmas is coming, but Jesus is coming. And Christians down um, the centuries have used the period leading up to remembering the first coming of Jesus at Christmas to actually remember the second coming of Jesus as well. If you've got a a, a background in uh, maybe a more traditional kind of church, you'll know that's a big theme. I was in the Church of England, and that was a big thing. We used to talk about singing hymns about Jesus coming back. But it's a good thing to remember. It's a good thing to think about. It's something that's comforted Christians who are suffering for many years. Many years. And Jesus said he will come back. He often spoke about his return. Matthew, twenty got a couple of verses um, coming up on the screen about that. Matthew 24, 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will come as an hour when you do not expect him. And Hebrews 9, 28. He will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. That's rescue to those who are waiting for him. And that's why James is saying, he's saying, be patient in suffering. Jesus is coming. And when Jesus returns, he will see that justice is done. Every wrong will be put right. People who've waited patiently with faith in him will be rescued and will have a time of rest and reward forever forever in the new world, the renewed creation. And we don't know when it will be, Jesus said, but it's something that's given hope to Christians down the centuries. But it's hard to wait. James says it's a bit like this, and reading on um, in verse 7, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. I've never been a farmer, but I have been a gardener when I used to have a garden. I have got into growing vegetables, and it does take patience. Some of you will know that a lot more than I do. It takes patience. You, you, you plant the seed, maybe you you get, it, you get it going sort of inside, and then you take it outside, but you plant the seed and keep popping back day after day. Maybe it's just, this, this is just what you do the first few years, like me when I was getting started. Um, you're going back every week. You know, has anything grown? Has anything? Have the, have the slugs eaten them? What's happening? And the thing is, you just can't speed it up. It's really annoying. It's really frustrating. You can't speed up the growth of these plants. But um, I uh, particularly like growing sweet corn, and it's incredible. This little sweet corn seed... And the, the size of plant that it grows into and, of course, the delicious sweet corn, if you like sweet corn. Um, but it's all worth the wait in the end. It's all worth the wait. That's what James is saying. He's saying if you're, if you're a suffering Christian, yeah, it's even more difficult maybe than waiting just a year or part of a year to wait for crops to grow. But he says, hang in there. Jesus is coming. He will see that justice is done. He'll bring rest And reward to you. But hang on a minute. When when is it going to happen? Well, I mean, okay, Jesus said we don't know exactly when it's going to happen. But James is here saying, this is 2,000 years ago. James is writing, the Lord's coming is near. 2,000 years ago, that's not really what I call near. Like what, what? Did he get it wrong? And This is quite a serious question that many people have have asked when they read the Bible. In fact, it was a question that people were asking even back in the first century as well. Christians were asking, um, they were saying, you know, where is he? Where is this promise coming? You can read about it in 2 Peter chapter 3. But this is what Peter writes in response to that. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And yes, potentially Jesus could come back at any time. He will surprise, he said he will surprise many people. When he does. And it's right to think that Jesus is coming back soon. But if it seems like it's taking a long time, it's not long to God. He's got his own time scale. Thousands of our years is just like a day to him. And one one of the reasons it says here is that he's wanting to give people more time. He's wanting more people to turn to Jesus, to reconnect with God through him to put their trust in him to receive his forgiveness and his new life and so that they will be ready when Jesus returns are you ready for when Jesus returns what if it was tonight what if it was tomorrow what if it what if it was just in a few minutes time are you looking forward to Jesus if you're a christian are you looking forward to Jesus return do you think about it very much is it a comfort to you it should be Do you feel like you're going through it at the moment? Well, James encourages us in the light of Jesus coming, be patient, stand firm, strengthen your heart, is one way of putting it. Hang in there, trust God. Yeah, God may intervene. He may intervene in your troubles right now. He may have intervened as you, maybe someone prayed for you this morning, and that's fantastic. God may just give you the strength to keep going. But one day, everyone who has faith in Jesus has begun that God-centered life, when Jesus returns, they will know the rewards of meeting him. All the wrongs will be put right. All the injustices will be sorted out and suffering will end. So be patient in suffering. Jesus is coming. Well, just going on from there, related to that, the next thing that really James is saying is be loving in suffering Jesus is judge. Be loving and suffering. Jesus is judge, and you can see that in verse nine. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. It's not like onto a new subject. This is part of it, because isn't it just the most natural thing when you're having a hard time to take it out on other people? Or is it just me? Um, but I certainly do that. And this word, translated as grumble, that the New Testament originally written in Greek, um, but this word translated as grumble is, is also can mean kind of just groaning and sighing, often because um, things are going badly, and we might be facing pressure at work, and then at home or at church, you're in a negative mood, and you get into complaining and finding fault and groaning about what other people are doing. What are they doing with that? What are they doing now? We might be struggling with our health. And just we begin to resent people who just never seem to be ill. Actually never seem to have any problems. Look look at all I'm going through. And look at them. Look at them there. They're laughing and joking. How how do I feel? We might be short of money. And we begin to resent other people and, and blame them and grumble against them, even if it's just in our hearts. We think, why aren't they helping me? Why can't they see? James says, when you're suffering, don't groan and grumble about other people. It's wrong. And Jesus, who's potentially coming back shortly, will actually be coming back as our judge. Jesus said, Matthew twelve, thirty-six. He said, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. And when Jesus returns, there will be justice. And that's great. Most people, I th- suppose, if you get hold of that idea, you think, well, that's great. Justice. I'd love to see justice for those criminals who've got off scot-free or maybe have just never been caught. Those people who did some terrible crime and they just spent hardly any time in prison. What about those cruel leaders um, perpetrating atrocities uh, in other parts of the world? I'd love to see them brought to justice. And and some of the injustices that I've suffered as well. Maybe, you know, at work or I can even think of injustices back at school when I got into trouble for something that someone else had done. But it's less comfortable to think about Jesus judging you and me judging our thoughts and our words the kind of things that we wouldn't want to be uh, displayed on the screen here and played over the PA system things that we regret doing we let ourselves down we know that we let other people down we hurt other people and it was far from the way that God wanted us to treat other people as well the times we we didn't do good When we had the opportunity. And the times we've just not lived with God at the centre of our lives. And we're all guilty. We all deserve the judgement of God. God cares about how people are treated. And he cares about how the world works. And how we treat him. But the good news is that Jesus isn't just coming as judge. He's already been. He's already been a saviour and rescuer. We're going to be remembering that especially this Christmas, he came as a saviour and rescuer that first Christmas, the first Easter he died on the cross took the punishment for the wrong we've done and the good we haven't done the punishment that we would have faced ourselves otherwise so if we ask Jesus to forgive us, to put us right with God we can start living that God-centred life which we've been hearing uh, week after week it's not something we have to oh I really ought to live the God-centred life no it's a privilege, it's a great thing it's a really fulfilling, wonderful way to live. It's what we were made for. And so we can end up not dreading Jesus returning as judge, but looking forward to it. And as we suffer trials in life, and we, um, yeah, we, we can know that even treating others well is something that God can help us with, even when things are tough for us. But if we are going through tough times, and we just persist in treating others badly, not loving them, grumbling against them, maybe that is not a good sign. Maybe that's not a maybe that's a sign that we're not actually living a God centered life. Maybe we, we haven't really become a Christian. Well there's forgiveness, there's a new start, there's a fresh opportunity for all of us. And if you are a Christian and you think I've I've just let that slip just ask God to help you. Give that some attention. How am I speaking? How am I thinking about other people? Don't excuse it by saying, well, I've got it tough at the moment. Be loving even when you're suffering. But it is a natural thing. It's a, it's a, it's a temptation when life is hard. So maybe let's just look at this last point, and I think this will help us as well. So the last thing James says is, be persevering in suffering. God is good. Be persevering in suffering. God is good verse 10, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And it can be really difficult when you're right in the middle of difficult times to even get hold of promises of God which talk about God working all things for good and uh, God loving us and God having a plan for our lives. You you just can't see it sometimes when you're right in the middle of it. But in fact, what we often can see is when we look in the Bible at people who we've been told about them partly as an example to us. We see their life from start to end. We see what God finally did. We see their suffering. We see how God worked it For good, you see some amazing things, like the story of Joseph Um, in the Bible. You know, Joseph with a multicolored coat. I won't go into the story now, but there's lots of examples in the Bible of people who things just seem to go wrong, but God was working for good. But it's not so easy to see it when we're in the middle of it ourselves. James mentions a couple of people we can look to. One is the prophets, people like Jeremiah and Isaiah in the Old Testament. They spoke God's message often with a lot of opposition, they were unpopular, but they did great good. Jeremiah said that the word of the Lord had brought him insult and reproach all day long. He was not popular for saying, passing on God's message. It was difficult, but he, God used him to do great good and get got him through it. But just think for a moment about this other person who's mentioned here, this guy, Job. Don't know if you've ever heard of him. But he's got his own book in the Old Testament, tells his story. It's immediately before the Psalms. And if you don't know how the story goes, I'll, uh, I'll tell you or I'll refresh you on it. It's quite a long book, but I'll uh, lightning quick, I'll tell you what, what happens. It's basically this guy, he's in the Middle East. A long time ago, he's someone who loves and follows God. He was really rich and he had a big family. And that was a sign of God blessing him at the time. <clears throat> So it worked in those days. That's how God showed he was blessing people. It was material and physical things. <clears throat> but meanwhile, the scene cuts to the, un- the unseen spiritual world. And there's, there's the devil and God having a conversation. And, and God says to the devil, have you seen my servant Job? He's brilliant. He's a top guy. There's no one like him. He fears me. He rejects evil. But not those literal words. Um, But Satan says to him, he says, ah, you see, the reason why he he loves you is because nothing ever goes wrong for him. He's got a cushy life. And sometimes, um, if you give him some hard times, then we'll well, we'll see what he's really like. We'll see his love for you. We'll see him curse you when you give him a difficult time. So God gives Satan the permission to do anything he likes to Job. As long as he keeps him alive, and from then on, things start to go from bad to worse for him and his family. There's natural disasters. There's some sort of fire. There's a typhoon. There's bands of robbers sweeping in, and it's a it's a real disaster story. It's not a comedy story. Job has nothing at the end of it. He's got his wife, but um, maybe he's got his home, but his grown up children have died. The vast numbers of animals that he have have all been stolen or killed. His servants have all been killed. And then he gets this terrible kind of skin condition, painful skin condition all over his body. But Job doesn't curse God. He doesn't speak against him. He doesn't charge God with wrongdoing, even though his wife is telling him to do it. He's got three friends. They come along, they're trying to help him out. And they're saying, come on, mate, you must have done something wrong. God's punishing you. Come on, admit it. Sort things out with God. Then you think things will be all right. And Job says, honestly, I can't think of what it could be. And his friends say, come on, come on, there must be something. And then his friends start to annoy him. He's even losing his friends now. And then he starts calling out to God and he's asking for questions. And he's he's asking questions and he's saying, God, why am I suffering? What is going on? And he does start to question God in quite a robust, strong way. What is God up to? And God says nothing. God says nothing. But he sticks with faith in God. He sticks with talking to God. And finally, God speaks to him. And God does say, yeah, you've, you, you, you've spoken uh, without understanding but God doesn't say he's actually done anything wrong. And God, in the end, doubles what Job had in the first place. He's more prosperous before. He has double the number of animals and things, which I guess were really important in those days. He has some more sons and daughters. And Job, he did struggle with his suffering. There's over 40 chapters you can read about the story. He complained. He questioned how God was treating him. But throughout this confusion that he was feeling, he never gave up on God. He didn't turn his back on God and say, right, that's it. He kept on speaking to God, asking God, appealing to God, hanging on to God. He held on in faith. And James wants to use this example of Job to encourage us, especially for suffering. Be persevering in suffering because God is good. He says, you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And that's what we see at the end of the story. God allowed and God used Job's suffering for good. And his suffering was not the end of the story. God had things that he was planning to do in his life that were way beyond the suffering just, just just helpful to say, I think, the story of Job is not saying that there's a similar conversation um, going on between the devil and God every time we go through a difficult time. Uh, It's also not promising that there'll be great riches and prosperity at the end of every bad patch in life. But James is saying, look at the way that Job kept on going in suffering. Follow his example, clinging on to God, even when you've just got no idea what's going on. And know that God brought about a good ending through it all. One that Job couldn't see at the time, but eventually God brought it about. Because God is good. God is full of compassion and mercy. And it's one of the many examples we read, a worked out example we read in the Bible of what is a, a well-known verse and a very comforting verse to many Christians, Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Be persevering in suffering. God is good. I just want to finish with a little story. Um, A few years ago, I worked in Hastings for a church there. I used to visit an old woman in a nursing home used to uh, go to see her, to pray with her, to take some bread and wine, to uh, share communion, remember Jesus dying for us together. And she was over 100 years old. Um, I, don't, I haven't known anyone else who was over 100. I got to see the, the card that the Queen sends and something like the Secretary of State for Work Compensions or something also seems to send one as well when you are 100. But I guess they know how old you are. But I saw these things. But yeah, she was 100 years old. And she was pretty much confined to her bedroom. In this little bedroom in a nursing home, she was blind. And she, did, she didn't do anything really. She just sat, sat in her chair as far as I could tell. And it seemed, the situation seemed very sad. But whenever you spoke to her and you started, you know, I said why I'd come and we're going to pray together. It was, it was like she kind of lit up. And she would tell me how she was so looking forward to meeting Jesus. She'd be quoting me Bible promises. You must have learnt them um, maybe some time ago. Quoting me Bible promises about what it was going to be like when she met Jesus, when Jesus comes back. And you could hear the joy in her heart as she spoke. And she was someone who was persevering in her sufferings with a faith and a confidence that God is good and I'm fairly sure that she's with God in his presence now. She's died. She's over the finish line. She got there. Jesus didn't die before she returned. i oh, sorry, Jesus didn't return before she died. But she's gone to meet him. She's in his presence, free from suffering. She waited patiently. We trust in God. Let's pray. Father, we do want to receive those words about you being full of compassion and mercy. Lord, we want to receive those um, truths about you, Lord. If we have been doubting that recently, if we've been having a difficult time where we can't see what's going on or what you're doing, Lord, I want to pray for everyone here this morning who needs to hear, Lord, again, that you are compassionate and merciful, that you care that you love them, and we pray that, Lord, despite our circumstances, we might be able to cling onto you with faith, with trust, knowing that you've got a plan. You've got a plan for us. You've got a plan for the world, and one day you will sort out everything that's wrong, that we want to be ready for that time when Jesus returns, and we want to hold on, help us, Lord, to keep going until we meet Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.